Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Vent Weekly. I'm Amelia. COVID-19's completely changed the way we live our lives and I can understand why it's so overwhelming for so many of us. So, to help ease your minds, we've launched a new mini-series of bonus episodes on Vent Weekly called COVID-19 Fact Checkers. If all the COVID news is getting to you, this mini-series might not be for you. But don't worry, we'll still be releasing our regular, non-corona-specific episodes every Wednesday. But if you do have questions or anxieties around COVID-19 that you want talked about, we got you. This series will get you your answers. Hello, hello, hello. This is Jason. I just want to know what they're going to do to help the economy recover. Because, like, a lot of small businesses had to shut down, like, literally creating a living for your family, and, and that's all put on hold. Because I heard they were, what, giving grants to small business, but that's only, like, 80% of what they originally earned, apparently. So I just want to know, like, what are they going to be doing to help rebuild the economy. Today, I'm joined by Jason Ibanda, who you just heard there. Hi. And writer, journalist, filmmaker, and all-round economics expert, Paul Mason. <laughs> so can you both introduce yourselves and say a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Paul, you can go first. <laughs> yeah, I'm Paul Mason, and thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm a journalist who covers economics, and I'm very heavily involved in researching, reporting, and also activism mm. in the face of this huge crisis. Mm. Okay, thank you. And Jason? I'm 20 years old and I'm hoping to be a podcaster myself. I also care about the economy, so I'd just like to know more, mm. so yeah. How's lockdown treating you? <laughs> like, how are you finding it? Well, um, me specifically, my life hasn't really been changed because I got an essential worker job. Oh, right. Like at a, a local Morrison, so... I'm out as often as I was beforehand. Mm. How do you feel about that, like having to work in like a time like this? I'd rather not stop because I'm a person that if I like sit too long and not do anything, I'll just start to get like depressed and mm. so yes, fair enough, actually. I need that to just keep me running. I need to work. Do you ever worry about perhaps contracting the virus because you're probably gonna be in contact with a lot of people? Mm. I do, but I protect myself. I wear a mask, I, I yeah. wear gloves. How's it treating you, Paul? Um, very differently, because I'm a writer, so this desk that I'm sitting at now is where I work every day. Yeah. But the problem is, what I write about is reality, and you have to be able to go out and experience the reality you're talking about. And that's what I can't do. Yeah. Um, and above all, because because my wife is uh, vulnerable to this disease. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're ordering all the food. Uh, but, you know... I'm enjoying the quietness. Uh, I, I'm 60 years old. And, really? Um, I grew up at... Yeah. You look I, good for your age. Yeah, well, I thank you for that. But <laughs> <laughs> the um, the thing is, you know, in my childhood, things were quite quiet. Mm -hmm. now, some of that quietness for my generation and for older people has come back 
and they're remembering what it was like. Yeah. They're also remembering how boring it was because it was boring. And walking around my local area, it keeps reminding me of a rainy Sunday in the 1960s. Mm. <laughs> mm. Jason, do you want to just explain a little bit more about the question that you asked in regards to COVID-19 economics? Because I thought it was like, a really good question to ask to you. I wouldn't have thought to ask that. Thank you. Thank you, Amelia. Well, my question was, if this disease goes on for a while, how much further would it impact the economy? And also, is there any good things coming because of COVID-19? Mm. So I'm just going to literally direct that to Paul. What's your take on it? OK, well, I think we should come to the positives later because I'm afraid there are a lot of negatives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've got to face up to them. Yeah. So normally, a, a normal advanced economy like ours ticks along at between 1% and 2% growth a year. That's what normally happens. Mm -hmm. um, we have probably lost about 12 to 20% of our economy oh in the last three months. Wow. Whoa. So this, in other words, is the biggest downward spike in growth since the 1920s. Oh, my oh wow. And in economics, we talk in shapes. So the best case scenario is a V-shaped slump mm -hmm. you know uh, a really steep downward v and then it bounces straight back mm. this is what the government believes now the problem arises if we don't get that yeah at the moment these loans that you're talking about jason mm. th there are loans to small businesses there are loans to big businesses and also the government is paying 80 percent of the wages of seven million people yes yeah mm -hmm. plus about a million and a half have claimed universal credit who didn't already claim it so that's a lot of money going out of the government to keep the economy afloat yeah but restaurants pubs cafes they won't be coming back for any time soon mm. um, and the problem there is my local pub it doesn't exist because from one week to the next its takings are okay across the counter of the bar it exists because it's part of a big chain of pubs and they live on credit yeah. by borrowing from banks. Mm. Now, if you haven't got money coming across the counter, at a certain point, you can't pay the interest rate on your loan. Yeah. And what everybody's worried about, it's what happens in the financial system when all those takings impact on the debts that everybody's borrowed. Yeah. So, so, so you can like assume the national debt is going to skyrocket. Yeah. You, you certainly can. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. We have a debt that's about three quarters of the size of our economy. Yeah. It's 1.75 trillion pounds. Mm. That 1.7 trillion is all the debts left after the entire history of the British economy for 200 and odd years, 400 years if you go back to, to the founding of the Bank of England. Now, the civil servants who work for the Treasury wrote a document that was leaked to the Daily Telegraph, which said, if things go really badly wrong, we add another trillion to that debt in five years. But we could easily double it in five to ten years as a result of this. There's another concept called the deficit. Now, the deficit is like the annual overdraft of the government. Oh, yeah. Now, before COVID, we expected this deficit of government to be 55 billion this year. It's now going to be 350 billion. Mm. No, I personally, I'm not worried about that. I don't think that there's a huge problem there because governments can borrow really cheaply. If you or I want to borrow a thousand pounds, we'll probably pay between three, five, ten, fifteen percent interest on that thousand pounds. The government at the moment barely pays any interest at all. 
So it can rack up debts, but it's not going to hit that problem that we individuals do of how yeah, do you... They can't pay back their interest. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not saying it's problem-free, but I'm just saying the, the figures sound big and they are big, but that's not the main problem. So how, in like, generally speaking, are the government going to help people whose livelihoods aren't going to be thriving to ensure that people are not going to be struggling when like life returns back to normal? Look, I, I'm a big critic of the Conservatives, but <laughs> I'd have to say that what they did is essentially right. Okay. Today, I can announce that for the first time in our history, the government is going to step in and help to pay people's wages. They said, we're going to borrow money and we're going to pay it straight into people's wages. Any employer in the country, small or large, charitable or non-profit, will be eligible for the scheme. And they've saved numerous big businesses, British Airways, Virgin Airways, They've saved all the train operating companies. They've saved London Transport. They've bailed them out. Mm. They could have done more, I think, for small businesses. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem comes because we were so late to lock people down mm -hmm. that we've got one of the worst, probably the worst, forms of the epidemic in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I want to start today by acknowledging the sacrifices New Zealanders have made over the six and a half weeks we have been in alert levels four and three in order to beat COVID-19. If you look at New Zealand, they did an absolutely severe lockdown very early. Now their economy's back running. So today, I am announcing we are ready to move into level two, to open up the economy, but to do it as safely as possible. Their cafes, their gyms are opening. The op shot is that in 10 days' time, we will have reopened most businesses in New Zealand and sooner than many other countries around the world. So their economy is going to take less of a hit. Our economy is going to take longer to recover and it's got a bigger hit. Yeah. Um, how would you go about restarting the economy? What does that entail? Mm. I mean, it's going to be, I think, let's be realistic, it's going to be a slow process. Mm. We live in a society where people have human rights and legal rights to go to a safe workplace. So this is why the teachers have said, look, until you can tell me my, my workplace is safe, I'm not going. Mm. So how do we go about it? You've got to do what I think the government hasn't properly done. You've got to listen to the scientists. Mm -hmm. If there is a city or an area that's got a very, very low transmission rate, if you can then put into place safety nets, mm -hmm. you could start reopening. One is that people keep on social distancing. Two is personal protective equipment. The third is an app that can tell me for sure whether it's possible that I've got it and whether I've been near somebody who's got it. And it raises questions of privacy and civil liberty. But I think as a society, we're probably going to have to accept those challenges. So the moment we do all these things, I think we can begin to reopen the economy. But we've got to, it'll be different. Uh, today, I want to update you with the latest plans for our programme of Test, Track and Trace. What do you say to the people that are saying that um, COVID is a ploy by the government to, to enlist more control on the people? Creating this system is a huge national undertaking of unprecedented scale and complexity. Like they're saying there'll be some sort of chip that mm -hmm. can track people's whereabouts and so forth. And of course, we're developing the contact tracing app, which can help us deliver test, track and trace on the mass scale that we need across the country.
What do you say to that? Well, look, um, we've got to distinguish between real fears and irrational fears, I think. But I think there is a real fear that people in power all over the world, and especially the kind of right-wing governments, authoritarian governments, they do want technological control over us. Now, I'm sorry to tell you, there is already a chip that tracks where you are. It's in your mobile phone. Oh, yeah. Whether it's on or off, your phone can hear what you're saying and it can tell where you are. That's just a fact. When we get a, a COVID tracker app, we will, I think, have to surrender some of our civil liberties, probably temporarily. The app, which takes full consideration of privacy and security, has already been tested in closed conditions at an RAF base. And today I can announce the next steps. We're just going to have to accept that we are voluntarily opting in to a tracking system. Right. From tomorrow, we will begin to pilot, test, track and trace on the Isle of Wight. No. Some of my friends who are long-standing campaigners on online freedom and security mm -hmm. have come up with some rules that we should probably impose. By participating in this pilot, they're at the forefront of helping get Britain back on her feet. And the number one rule is that the data is not owned by any corporation mm -hmm. and can't be permanently retained by the state and can't be exploited for commercial use by anybody and that I can take it back and destroy it when it's no longer needed. Mm -hmm. On this basis, I will probably give up my information. Where the Isle of Wight goes, Britain follows. Jason, would you like volunteer to give your information and stuff for the sake of like being tracked temporarily? Well, right now I wouldn't, but um, I think <laughs> if the situation gets worse, I might be in a position where I'm so scared that I feel like I have to. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the strategy they're trying to use to accumulate fear to sully people's um, instinct for freedom because if you're scared of something you you give up your freedom willingly mm -hmm. for example to say oh we should get this tracker if you were to say that like a year ago before covid had even started everyone would be outraged nobody would yeah. even yeah. like want to hear you but now this is a real possibility but um i'd like to switch over to like a a lighter tone so, like I asked before, what do you think the positive mm. that will come to the economy due to COVID? Because I believe that after crashes, like, there's booms that people love to take advantage of. You see new millionaires coming out of fruition because of yeah, you, um, yeah, I mean, things like these. Look, you know, th there are opportunities created for entrepreneurs by this. You know, if you can invent a vaccine, I think working as an animator is going to be an amazing thing because I just think we're going to be watching more and more animated stuff because of the safety aspect of, of this. Mm. I think as well, there's a political fight coming to make sure that we fund the NHS and social care well. I think social yep. care is going to have to be effectively nationalised. So all good. these care homes that are privately run are being basically propped up now by the government. So so what what what's the benign outcome? Hopefully the pay and the conditions and the status of people who work in key key occupations should rise. As they should. I think the online economy is going to boom. Uh, it's booming now, but it will boom more. Yeah. I'm afraid the nighttime economy is not looking so good. Uh, a lot of restaurants and clubs and bars are already running on very thin margins. And it, even if you could run it with everybody standing six feet apart, and therefore with a lower footfall, a lower turnover, 
even if you could do that I'm not so sure many people are going to be so keen to go back to those places mm. yes you're right Jason economics generally expects a bounce back but don't count on it mm. because the real question is does the financial system fall over as I said earlier if that does happen there are some economists who are predicting a really doom laden long depression and I'm not necessarily one of those but I, I would be irresponsible if, if I didn't say look it's a possibility yeah I mean mm. one thing I wanted to say on behalf of me and Jason is that we because I'm 20 he's 19 like we're obviously going to feel quite powerless in situations like this like I'm a uni student and I don't feel as though much is being done really to aid us other than just putting our stuff online yeah. it's a very uncertain future like how do people who are young creative upcoming like <laughs> what do we do from here you know what, I obviously sympathise with you. And I, When I was 19, the biggest economic crisis for a generation hit me. You know, I spent, after I left college, I was unemployed for a couple of years, mm. very low wages, couldn't get a job that I wanted to, had to switch careers. It's true that the long-term impact, if you live through a recession, is, is quite big on you. Yeah, yeah definitely. It, it can be worrying, but then I think... It would just give our generation that little bit extra push mm -hmm. stuff because I feel like when it's very difficult, the whole of society gets tougher in a way. And I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like this, as much as this lockdown is really inconvenient, mm. I feel like I've been plotting and planning for my future. Mm. One thing we need to keep in mind is that as much as it is really depressing and it feels like never ending, it won't last forever. And we need to be ready for that. So in essence, we're kind of getting ready. Yeah, we're now seeing how powerless humanity is in the face of nature. Yeah. We already face climate change and we now realise it's a bad idea to tear down the rainforest. We expose ourselves to these viruses that come from animals and birds. Now, the opportunity to your generation is to say to politicians, enough. We need a system that stops destroying the planet and stops exposing people to these destructive viruses we can't live through another one of these mm. so we need a radical change and i wouldn't be so fatalistic and feel so powerless because do you think the government would have paid 80 percent of people's wages if the trade unions hadn't gone in and knocked on the door and said you must do this yeah it's true you do have power hi boris hello mr prime minister my name is hassana ad and i am proudly working as a cleaner in a hospital 10 miles away from the hospital which you were in. I joined around the same time actually because I wanted to help this nation overcome this pandemic. You know, this, there's a guy, a Syrian refugee, made a video at lunchtime. Today, however, I felt uh, betrayed, stabbed in the back. Because he just said you cannot exclude migrant workers from the death benefit. This is your way of saying thank you to us. Us migrants are on the front line doing these very demanding jobs to help this nation overcome this pandemic. And the least you can do, if we die, to give our families indefinite leave to remain. Please reconsider. By tea time the next day, government policy had changed because of that video. Mm. Uh, yesterday's message was to the Prime Minister, but today's message is to you. To the, to the British public. Thanks to you and to the unions and to the campaigners and to the journalists who helped, helped us get our messages across, they uh, U-turned. Today I was walking around the hospital and uh, 
my colleagues were giving me virtual high fives. I am feeling proud and happy and grateful. Thank you. So I think the elites are incredibly vulnerable at the moment to public pressure and especially yeah. to the pressure of your generation. Well, they need to change the way that they treat people and they need to, yeah. you know, lose the privilege for a second mm. and kind of look holistically because this country is not just made up of rich white people. It's made up of people who've come to rebuild the country and have settled here and are being treated less than. And that's the problem with their policies. Like Their policies do not include the majority. Once they change the way that they look at us and that we're on an equal level to them that that's when we're going to join sides with them like i think it's almost obvious in a way yeah and i don't think the conservative model can really ever do that yeah so i i, I think labor and more left is going to take over like the coming generations 100%. well i have to say amelia the problem is that what you just said while i totally agree with it i've spent you know many years on the doorstep campaigning in the places I come from in the north of England mm. that voted Conservative this time and let's put it this way what you just said would not have gone down very well yeah. because we've got people equally poor, equally dispossessed but the temptation for the Conservatives is to go to that group of people and play on their fears mm. so we, there is a cultural divide in Britain yeah. and it's one that's increasingly worrying and I'm so far, I don't think this COVID virus has made it worse. It hasn't made it better. My fear is that, that what, what you've never seen comes to pass, but I saw in the 1970s, when you get mass unemployment, you get competition for jobs, that's really yep. when all the racism and, and the sexism and yeah. the, the hierarchy comes out in society. So mm. let's hope we don't get to that point. And um, to relate to, to, to your point, I always say that racism is, is, is rife and and in in life but i feel like it's a distraction yeah. from social inequality point how you said um there will be white people um who are in the same situation as these black minorities but just because of their their ignorance they will go against social mobility and 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 leveling the playing field just because of that this is why like people don't understand like race really does matter because mm. It's almost in a way like those people who are a little more marginalised in northern areas, for example, areas outside of London who are facing poverty. It's like they're still playing oppression Olympics. Mm. Like they still want to be above us anyway. Yeah. Like you're not really accepting that we're kind of all in the same boat. And that's why like parties like the Conservative Party will definitely reach out and appeal more to their own as opposed to us, which is why we're going to be hardest hit. I think that what you say is true. But an opportunity arises out of this crisis for something better to happen. The, my mm. parents' generation lived through yeah. the war and then the end of the war. Like a 10-year economic depression where, like, you know, my father's family was so poor that they just literally didn't have anything to eat for days on end. They suffered diseases they never recovered from, mm -hmm. of poverty. Um, mm -hmm. And then at the end of the war, people said, enough. And it wasn't just the left or the working class. It was part of the, the rich and the elite. You know, so we had a thing called the Beveridge Report, which created the welfare state. 
it could, like, and uh, then we yeah. had the, the, the creation mm -hmm. of the National Health Service. So the fact that we have unemployment benefit, the fact that we have sickness pay, the fact that we have old age pensions, mm -hmm. all comes from that moment of saying, we, we've had enough of poverty. Yep, so now, I think that there could be a moment like that now for us. And, and therefore, my, my, my ambition is not just to say, mobilize the left, the poor, uh, the black ethnic minority communities, the youth. It is to reach out to the broadest possible coalition in society and let's have a debate about something different. Yeah. If you want to invoke the wartime spirit, then the cost is you invoke the wartime outcome, which is a better society. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end on it. I'm really grateful for you guys coming on. So am I. Jason, as you were the one who posed the question, how are you feeling about <laughs> everything that Paul said? I got it. That's a, that's a lot of brain food that I just got there. Um, yeah, you answered my question and then some. Great. Thank you so much, Paul. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. And, and do stay in touch. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly Bonus COVID-19 Fact Checkers. I've been Amelia. And thanks to Jason and Paul for joining me. This episode was produced by Rose Delarabiti with help from the Vent production team, Jess Lawson, Lucas Fothergill and Maweed Majid. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Barrow of Culture 2020. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.